Would you pray with me? Lord, you are worthy. You're our king. And Lord, may this morning we gather around the text of Scripture to marvel at your condescension, how you stooped down to where we are in order to save us. Help us to think carefully this morning about the person of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. So we're in a sort of a two-part treatment of the opening verses of Philippians chapter 2. We've got sort of two series of sermons going on here at the same time. Uh, when Alex preaches, we're going through Matthew and we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been there for a few weeks now. And when I have the opportunity to preach, we're going through the book of Philippians. We started last time we were in Philippians with Philippians chapter 2. I want us to read that passage again this morning and then sort of explain how we're going to approach it. Opening verses of Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I will start this week making the same observation with which I began the previous sermon in the book of Philippians, that we have reached here a landmark text, a giant text in the New Testament. If the Bible is about Jesus and the New Testament tells us about Jesus, this passage tells us an awful lot about Jesus. Now, last time we were here... I explained to you, we're going to do kind of two parts on the same text, and it's not necessarily that we're doing the first half of the text and then the second half of the text, even though it may feel like that. In the first sermon, we sort of went through the whole text and looked at Paul's train of thought through the text, right? His, his emphases on not being selfish or self-seeking, not being full of conceit, but being humble, counting others more significant than yourselves, looking to the interests of others and not just your own interests. And what does he do to illustrate this point? how we should act towards each other in humility. Well, he brings in the example of Jesus Christ. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
Christ Jesus had this mind, this mind of humility and counting others more significant than himself. You have that same mind. You be humble. And we saw that that humility would lead towards unity in the body of Christ. So, in the first sermon, we, we dealt with that train of thought. But, there's so much here about Jesus. So many really important theological points that we see in this text about Christ. That it just, it's, it's going to be beneficial to us to step out of the train of thought of Paul for a minute make some observations on these big theological points, and then let's take those and sort of place them back into the train of Paul's thought. Does that make sense? So this morning, whereas last sermon may have been more contextual and looking at the context and what's Paul arguing and what's his train of thought, let's follow that. This morning will be more theological, more Christological, how we think about Jesus Christ, our logic about Christ, be a simple way to say it. So, Paul's primary concern in this text, I want to say this at the outset, Paul's primary concern here does not seem to be theological. In verses 6 through 11, all this information we get about Jesus Christ, he's not picking up his pen here to give the Philippians a detailed theology of Christ and his two natures and how those interact with one another. That's not why he's writing this. This is in here about Christ because Paul wants to illustrate something for them. Have this mind in you, humility, not self-seeking, not full of conceit or vain glory. Have this mind that was also in Christ. And then let's illustrate how that mind was in Christ Jesus. So it's important that we remember, as we wrestle with some of the theological principles here this morning, that Paul's purpose in introducing us to this information about Christ is analogical. It's a comparison. It's, it's, it's a model he's pointing to. It's not to, to tease out the finer theological points. But, though his ultimate purpose might not have been theological, we find some heavy theology here. He does employ some major theological language and concepts to get this point across. This passage tells us so much about Christ, his divine nature his work on the cross, his exaltation. So it's just prudent for us to sort of pause, examine these pieces, and then place them back into the context into which they were given. So, uh, one note here. You might want to keep your Bible open, um, and you might want to put your thinking caps on, because we're going to be looking at some, some, some terms here, some specific words that have been pretty controversial in the history of the church. Uh, there are easy ways to go into error if we're not careful at this text. So we want to exercise great care, great clarity of thought as we approach this text. For that reason, uh, I just want to say this at the outset, just sort of a, a note. I relied a lot more on commentaries, like technical commentaries on the specific language of this text more than I usually would in a sermon. And I just want to note that so you can know my indebtedness to them. Uh, men like Gordon Fee and Moises Silva that have written great commentaries on the book of Philippians. A lot of the observations about the language that's used here um, has been bolstered by those men and the work that they've done. There are all sorts of misunderstandings about Jesus that come from this text. And it's a few words specifically that are the focal point of the controversies. And really, the way that this text is going to play out this morning 
uh, we'll do a lot of focusing on those words, but this is not a seminary lesson or, or a classroom discussion on different misinterpretations of this text. As we address the misinterpretations of this text, as we address wrong ways in which this text has been understood, I hope to place the right understanding of this text as a a diamond on that sort of bad backdrop, if that makes sense. So hopefully in looking at these words and examining what they mean and don't mean, we're able to revel in what they do tell us about Christ. So what do we learn about Christ from this text? Number one, I'm just going to make some positive statements that we get from this text. Number one, Christ was in the form of God. We see that right there in the text. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, we're off to the races right here from the get-go. What a strange word, right? Form. Why say that? It seems like it would almost lend itself to misinterpretation. Who being in the form of God, well, is he God or is he in the form of God? And if those are different, then what does the latter mean? What does it mean to be in the form of God? It's a strange word to use. So we're already in the weeds right from the beginning. The word that's used here, so the New Testament, uh, originally written in Greek, so when Paul sits down to write this, uh, it's written in the Greek language. And so if we want to understand what a word means, a lot of times it can be helpful to say, okay, what Greek word was used here? And you don't have to be a Greek scholar to to understand the things I'm going to tell you this morning. What does this word mean? Let's look at the Greek word. And a lot of times you can think, oh, well, there are these hidden mysteries that are locked inside of the Greek language. And sometimes there are shades of meaning that we can get in the Greek. But a lot of times it's helpful just to say, okay, where are some other places this Greek word is used? And how is it used in those places? And you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand that sort of thinking. So, this word morphe, morph, you can kind of see how we get form 